Somebody else. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10. Our other text is Colossians 3, verse 17, but we're not going to get that far tonight. But I will read both of them tonight. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10. Anybody know who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes? Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. Of course, other than Jesus. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17, Paul wrote this, And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Our topic tonight is beating boredom. Beating boredom. A young boy was asked one day, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? Having lived his life under the threat of nuclear war, the reality of terrorist attacks all around our world, the little boy thought for a moment, and he had one word answer, alive. I just want to be alive. I think all of us join him in that wish because the love of life, the love of life goes deep within the human soul. Pastor Donnie Hicks is in heaven now, and he and I were good friends. He was one of our missionaries to London, Ohio for several years, and of course uh, Donnie Hicks also preached my ordination as a deacon years and years ago. And he was telling the story one time of him and another preacher were working at their church, and the other preacher was a bricklayer. And Donnie says, I was, Pastor Don Hicks said, I was in the front of the building, and he was in the back. And uh, uh, on a scaffolding laying brick, and Don said, I heard the loudest commotion. And I run back there, and of course the scaffolding is down. And Don asked the other pastor, what in the world is going on? He said, well, I'm laying this brick, and I'm singing a song about going to heaven. But as soon as that board broke, I'm holding on for my dear life. (laughs) Think about that. Because we have a passion for life deep within our soul. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, I think Jesus kind of sums up his mission to this earth. And look what he says. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. 
But he says, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Now, let me remind you, folks, Jesus came so we could have life. Now, I realize we, we want eternal life. That's part of this. But Christ is talking about the abundant life now. He wants to have us to have life abundantly now where we are today. Some years ago, a fellow gave his testimony of how he used to hate getting up in the morning. He didn't like it because he said he didn't like his life. He was so steeped in sin and so deeply he didn't care whether he lived or whether he died. Then one day he met Jesus. He met Jesus. And he said, now I love my life. I love my family. I love my work. I am simply overwhelmed, overwhelmed every day. And he went, on to, he went on to say, I know that Christians are supposed to look forward to heaven. But I, want to, I don't want to die yet because I am having so much fun enjoying life now. But the sad thing is, there are way too many people and too many Christians who are deeply bored with life. Bored with life. Now I realize that I grew up in a different generation. Now we did have a television, but our first few televisions were black and white. What well, can you imagine that? And you know, it didn't matter what you're watching; it was black and white. We didn't have video games. Um, didn't have the internet. Didn't have this, the cell phone. But I don't remember. I don't remember growing up ever saying I was bored. Now, I may have. I, you know, uh, I need to ask my dad. But by this time in life, he's forgot anyway. But anyway, it's uh, been too long ago for all of us. But, you know, I remember... Spending a lot of time with my grandparents. I have an uncle just a year older, and we grew up together quite a bit, and especially in the summertime. And we leave the house in the summer, in the morning, wouldn't come back to dark almost. Maybe come back to eat lunch once in a while. But we we had sticks for guns, and we'd go out in the woods. We'd hunt bear and panthers. And my uncle, I was I was gullible. He convinced me that that woods was full of panthers. wasn't one of the hundred miles, but I didn't know it. And we played all day with stuff like that, imaginary things. And we had a good time. Now, I don't know how, this is probably a, a few years back, but one survey said this, that 54% of Americans go to work mainly to escape boredom at home. Think about that. Seventy percent of teenagers say they are bored with school. So what is boredom? 
I think it's a combination of several things. Weariness, apathy, unconcern. And boredom causes a person, whoever it is, to feel like doing nothing. Doing nothing. It includes being dreariness, lethargic, and dull. And to the bored person, the world is all shades of gray. And so when we are bored, there's nothing to do because there is nothing in our mind worth doing. And so... We are bored. I don't remember now when this came to be popular in our culture. But you talk to some young people. (laughs) And uh, when you ask them, did you hear what I said? That one word, answer, whatever. Huh? Whatever. I thought that was a good movie. Whatever. Whatever. And I think that reply says to us, I don't care enough to give you an answer. So, whatever. A bored generation. Two primary causes of boredom. Number one is overstimulation. Think about that. Our society that we live in tells us over and over, tries to encourage us to believe that more is better. Isn't it true? More is better. If a little of something is good, more has to be better. Now, by the way, that's true with chocolate. Me and Naomi Snogger felt the same way about chocolate. If a little is good, more is better, okay? But the world teaches that, encourages that, and it goes on and on and on. And, and we see that in our relationship with each other. We see it in the pressure to always move up the ladder. And we see it for people always looking for something better because they're not satisfied. They're bored with what they have. We move from city to city, from church to church. We make friends, keep them for a while. I I get... Uh, tickled at our young generation, especially the younger younger ones. And I know at my time, like everybody's younger, okay? But what is it? BFF? What's that mean? Best friends forever, right? H- how many know every other day that changes? Huh? You're, you're my BFF. Best friends forever. But that's not true. That's not true. Madison Avenue takes that approach. And they always tell us, 
We need to buy something new. Buy more of it. And buy it when? Buy it now. Buy it now. We have been so bombarded with images, with lights, and sound, and noise, that we have grown accustomed to it. It's all around us. So you have to ask yourself, why is it that our television must always be on in the average American home? Why is it we have to have noise in the background or we simply don't feel comfortable? What's going on in our world? I, uh, I should have done a deeper study on, on, on trends because I know things have changed. But I know that at one time we were a TV-addicted generation. And we probably still are. Um, there was a time that we, those who studied those trends, said that most children watch three or four hours of television a day, 28 hours per week. And this is what really got me. said, by the age of 70 years old, I'm there. You've probably spent 10 years watching television. Wow. By age 21, you saw more than 1 million TV commercials. Before a person reaches drinking age, they have seen 100,000 alcohol commercials on television. But I wonder, have we not become a society addicted to the Internet, to the cell phone? Three out of ten adults say they use the Internet almost constantly. Three out of ten. Now, I'm a baby boomer, and we're already at Gen Z. And Gen Z are those who were born from 2012 to 2019. That's a Gen Z generation. And that generation accounts for the highest user base of Internet usage. Some of the Gen Zs, this Pew Research tells us, are on social media 16, 18, or 20 hours a day. Wow. Some years ago, a good friend of ours, <clears throat> their family had come in for Christmas to see their mother. Some came as far as from California, some from Chicago, others in the local Cincinnati area. And she told us that day, she said, I really got a little upset. 
We're all there sitting in my mother's living room. That's not very big, but they were all there. And guess what they're all doing, except for a few? They were on their cell phone. Some of them, she said, were texting each other. They couldn't put it down. Now, I must confess, Brother Ron and I were talking the other day about our cell phone. Um, I confess, I usually don't leave home without it. Where Pam works, they can't even log into their, what do you call it? Your system, unless you have your cell phone to do it with. And she asked him, well, what do we do if we forget our cell phone? You go home and get it. And I confess, I'm guilty. Ron, we confess, we agreed. We don't leave home without. If we, you know, I'd rather go without my underwear than leave my cell phone at home, right? I mean, nobody sees that. But man, you gotta have that cell phone. And I'm guilty, I realize that. Two thirds of the Gen Z responded to the Pew research, uh, claim they spend more time online than they really want to. 58%. More than I want to. Also, more than 54% say the technology in their life distracts them from doing what they need to do uh, in their day-to-day task. 69% of 18 to 24-year-olds say they use messaging apps more now than they did before the pandemic hit. So the truth of the matter, we're so overstimulated by television, radio, music, movies, the internet, video games, that we're all hyped up. And, and, and by the way, churches are guilty as well. And the problem is they're competing against this, and so now they're bringing all this nonsense into the church. I mean, we need to get a smoke machine in here, so when I walk out in the morning on, on stage, smoke begins to blow. Whistle begin to sound, right? That's what the world does. We're so hyped up. We're wound up so tight, and as the result is we are easily bored, and we're quickly distracted. So one of the reasons for boredom is overstimulation. A second reason for boredom is under-commitment. Under commitment. And this under commitment is a direct result of overstimulation. Too many people live their lives at the level of 20% commitment. We become like the fellow when they ask him, What do you believe? He said, A little bit of everything but I'm not going to commit much to anything. We're like the people who go to Golden Corral. We want a little of this and a little of that and some of this, but not much of anything. A little of everything. We are 20% committed to our marriages, 20% committed to our work, 20% 20% committed to our relationships, 20% committed to our families, 20% to our careers, 20% committed to our church, and the danger is we've become 
20% committed to Christ under commitment. No wonder we're frustrated. No wonder we can't sit still. No wonder we're bored. We aren't committed enough to anything to have a good reason to get out of bed in the morning. But under this, it's a deeper problem. A deeper problem. Boredom, and hear me well, boredom comes from an excessive self-focus. All we are worried about is our self. Bored people at their at the core, bored people are selfish people. And they view the world through the lens of their own limited perspectives. I'm bored. And I hate to say this because I fall in this category sometimes. The reason we are bored, one of the main reasons, is because we're boring people. Isn't that true? We are boring people. And if we're honest with ourselves, we are really bored with ourselves. We are bored with ourselves. So I want you to know tonight... The problem's not out there somewhere. It's not out there. If you want to know the problem, look inside. Take a look at your life. Now, by the way, I'm not saying that business is the answer. You can be busy and still be bored. So that is not the answer. So the question I want to ask tonight, is boredom a sin? Well, I I can't find a verse that says it is. So I'm not sure that boredom boredom itself is a sin. But I do believe that boredom is a disease of the soul. Folks, you realize tonight as Christians, we have the greatest life ever. We have reason to be excited about life. Because this is... If you will, a proving ground, and we're on the way to heaven, and we're going to live for eternity. So I I believe that boredom is, is a disease of the soul, and I do believe that boredom is a warning from God. God is saying to me and you, there is a dis ease in your soul. There's something missing that has to be faced. Boredom is a sign that our lives are moving in the wrong direction. So how do we deal with it? How do we battle boredom? How do we overcome it? Well, it requires... a a reordering, reordering our day, finding new ways to approach our day. 
And that's why we're looking in the next week or so from Ecclesiastes 9 and Colossians 3. We're looking to find biblical answers. Go back to Ecclesiastes 9, look at verse 10 again. The first thing we do to overcome boredom, to stop being bored, is do whatever lies close at hand. The first part of Ecclesiastes says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do. Now, I had to laugh because I just talked about whatever, right? But Solomon said, whatever your hand, whatsoever your hand finds to do. Now, think about that. Nothing in particular, whatsoever. And I think the thought that Solomon has here, the idea is to take hold of the ordinary responsibilities of life and make sure they get done. Whatsoever your hand finds to do. The danger is we find ourselves living in tomorrow. Tomorrow. We dream about doing this. When? Tomorrow. We dream about doing that. Tomorrow. I will buy this tomorrow. I will paint that room tomorrow. My favorite saying in a minute. I didn't ask you to comment on that. Tomorrow. And we can throw in a lot, a thousand other ideas. We'll do it tomorrow. And Solomon said, whatever your hand finds to do right now. And so there we are, we're thinking about, dreaming about tomorrow. And I, I want you to realize, folks, every day there's something, there's work to be done. I told somebody here a while back, I can be at home all day long by myself. Five, six, seven hours, eight hours. I don't see one thing that needs to be done. Pam comes home. Within three minutes, it's a list of ten things she sees needs to be done. But the truth of the matter, there is work to be done. And a lot of that everyday stuff is tedious. We know that. And somehow, those things get undone when we're thinking about what we're going to do someday. But the sad thing is, for many people, someday never comes. Charles Spurgeon once said this, One good deed is worth more than a thousand brilliant theories. Amen. One good deed is worth more than all of those. It's better to do what we need to do than waste four hours dreaming about what we would like to do. Just get it done. So when Solomon says, whatever your hand finds to do, that doesn't give me the excuse to say, well, I didn't find anything to do today. 
So I'm going to stay in bed. I'll waste my day away. Take the day off. The fact of the matter is, if we open our eyes, our hands will always find something to do. There's always work to be done. You've heard me say it a hundred times. I heard it from Chuck Swindoll years ago. Life is a cut above toothpaste. It can become tedious. But you know what's interesting? Somebody has to clear the table. Right? Somebody has to walk the dog. I don't have a dog, thank God for that. Amen. But dogs not only walk, they do other things as well, and you've got to clean that up too. Somebody's got to do it. Someone's got to pay the bills. Somebody has to get the office early to unlock the doors. Somebody has to check the invoices. Somebody has to prepare lesson plans. Somebody has to change the oil in the car. Aren't these exciting things? Now they're tedious. But somebody has to do it. Somebody's got to greet the customers. Somebody has to be on call this weekend. Somebody has to stay, up, stay late and lock up. Somebody needs to teach Sunday school. Somebody needs to take care of the sound room. Someone has to go to band practice, file the papers. And so it goes. That's what life is. Life is filled with a whole bunch of duties, some large, some small. But every one of those, somebody has to do. Whatever your hands finds to do. Doesn't help to complain. Doesn't help to say, well, you know, I don't feel like doing it. When will we learn our feelings don't matter? It has to be done. Whatever your hands find to do, do it. That is the Word of God. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it. We all have responsibilities. We all have chores. We all have assignments in life. And I, I want even our young people to know tonight, all of us need to learn, know, nobody gets a free ride. Now, we have people who think they do, but nobody gets a free ride. Pam mentioned in her testimony tonight what a Blessing we had just the other night being with the Swinsons. Um, and one thing about it, when you go to her house, she's going to feed you. She told me uh, the other night, told Pam and I, she said, I've never invited a preacher over and not fed him. Uh, about two years ago, well, right when right after COVID hit and they were kind of quarantined by their family, uh, I needed to go by there for something. To, and I was going to my dad's and, and, uh, I said, well, I'm going to my dad's tonight. I'll stop by. And I forget what she wanted me to pick up. 
And uh, I'm on the way anyway. I'll stop by. And she texts me back. And I've got it in writing. She says, I'm fixing beans and cornbread and taters. You're welcome to stay for supper. Now, you know I like to eat. Yeah, I know you can't tell by looking, but I do. <laughs> and but it just happened that it was a Tuesday night, and Pam and I both were kind of exhausted that night. And we didn't really want to take the time. But we thought, if we don't go, this was so gracious, and we don't want to hurt their feelings. So we go, and, and um, <laughs> we eat our meal. So after we're sitting around, and we're fellowship talking about the Lord, and, and got ready to leave, she said, oh, by the way, she said, I was just kidding when I invited you to come for supper. And they, they called her Cookie, and I said, Cookie, whatever you do, don't ever joke with a preacher about supper. Because he always takes it serious. Now, I said that to say this. We don't go there for the meal. It's a, plus, it's a benefit, no doubt. But we, we get so blessed whenever we are able to encourage someone else in their walk with God. And they express that gratitude. And, and, and God uses all four of us. You know, we go there to encourage them. They end up encouraging us in different ways. And so, it's a, you know, one, one of the ways uh, to battle boredom, one of the best cures is get involved with helping other people. Take your focus off of yourself. The Quakers had a, a, a quote they did for years. And here's what it said. I expect to pass through the world but once. Any good, therefore, that I can do or any kindness that I can show to any fellow creature, let me do it now. Let me not defer or neglect it, for I shall not pass this way again. Good words. Do you realize it is difficult to become bored when you're giving yourself to help those around you? It's hard to be bored. And so boredom happens whenever we are focusing on our own needs. When we're looking at ourselves and not looking outward. And I want you to realize whenever we get the nerve to crawl out of ourselves and we see what's going on around us, our problems seem smaller. And the boredom begins to go away. So number one, we overcome boredom by doing what is close at hand. Number two, we overcome boredom by doing our work with passion. Again, Ecclesiastes 9, 10, look at the middle part. Solomon said, whatever you do, do it with all thy might. Do it with all thy might. It's been a few years ago now, but I remember when AutoZone first came to Amelia, and I needed something for the car, I don't remember what it was, and I went in there, and it was packed. It was packed. And the fellow behind the counter, he was running here, there, and everywhere, trying to wait on people, trying to look this up, and doing all this work. And all the while, he's clapping his hands. He's whistling. (laughs) I mean, if he could, I think he'd have danced, you know. And 
About 15 minutes later, it's my turn to be waited on. I said, man, what's wrong with you? I said, all these people in here, and you're working yourself like, you know, like to death, and, and you're happy. He said, man, I love it. God's allowed me to have this job, best job I've ever had. <laughs> and you know what he was doing? He was doing with everything that he had. I have no doubt he was getting tired, but it didn't matter. <laughs> he was doing it with all of his might. And so Solomon said, don't, not just whatever your hand touches, but do it with everything you have. Everything you have. Do your work with earnestness. We don't hear much about that nowadays. But that's how you and I, as children of God, that's how we need to approach our lives. Do it with gusto. Be excited about what God has allowed us to do. And by the way, the longer I live, the more I realize life is too short. Life is too fragile. It's too precious for us to take lightly. So whatever we do, Solomon says, do it with all your heart. Do it with enthusiasm. Do it with passion and zeal. And be 100% committed to what you're doing. And I want to tell you, folks, it'll make a difference in your life, whatever it is. The problem is, most of us don't approach life that way. We don't approach our work that way. And by the way, the Bible teaches us, and hear me well, that all work is noble if we do it for the glory of God. Do it for the glory of God. Doesn't matter what it is. Even the most mundane chore is worthwhile if we do it in the right spirit. Martin Luther once said that a dairy maid can milk cows to the glory of God. He also said, if your job is shoveling manure, do your best. Shovel that manure for the glory of God. Because the bottom line of whatever we do, if we do it well, we honor God. We honor God. Just as much as the brain surgeon who saves someone's life. And I realize in our society, all of us struggle with that from one degree to another. Our world tells us that some jobs are more important than others. Now, I realize that some jobs pay more. Some jobs get more praise. But my friend, if you do it for the glory of God, it's important. And it brings honor to God. And I realize there's a danger... For all of us to say, I hate my job. The people I work with are jerks. That lady next to me, she's a witch. We find to complain, complain, and complain. Nobody likes me. 
Besides, that don't feel good. Well, you know what God's answer is to that? Grow up. Grow up. Some years ago, my nephew went to work at a local restaurant. And uh, he ended up quitting. And I asked him, I said, what did you quit for? And I think he worked in the kitchen cleaning up. You know, he's just, just a teenager. He said, well, the, the guy next to me wouldn't do his job. And I, I said to him, I said, hey, it doesn't matter what they do. Just do what you're supposed to do. But it bothered him so much because the person next to them, him, wasn't doing his job. I don't like my job. Well, news alert. I don't think we were supposed to like our jobs every day. I don't think it's supposed to be fun all the time. Could it be that's why they call it work? W-O-R-K? Somebody said if it was to be fun all the time, they would spell work F-U-N. Fun. And whether you're retired or you're working, but you still have things to do. There'll be days you don't feel like it. You don't want to go to work. You don't want to do this at home, whatever. And you know, there'll be days that you won't enjoy it. So what? Do it anyway. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with enthusiasm. Give it your best. Put your passion in what you're doing and see what happens. Now we read from Solomon Ecclesiastes there. And Solomon didn't say, do with all your might if you like it. He didn't say, do with all your might if you enjoy it. He said, do it with all your might, no matter what. No matter what. Do it with all your might when you don't feel like it. Do it with all your might when you don't want to be there. And leave everything else in the hands of God. Now, so far in our series, all these things we talked about, they all involved a theological principle. And battling boredom is no different. First of all, we believe in the sovereignty of God. He's in charge. And if we believe in the sovereignty of God, and we do, then it has to, has to mean that we are where we are because God wants us to be there. He wants us to be there. And let me give you a deep principle here. If God didn't want us where we are, he'd put us somewhere else. He is sovereign. But because we are where we are, the only a logical conclusion to that is, we are here by God's design. 
And when he wants us somewhere else, that's where we'll be. So do what you put your hand to, but do with all of your passion. And if we believe that God is sovereign and we are where God wants us to be, we can do whatever our tasks are every day, even when things are not so well, we can do it as unto the Lord. We can do it with all of our might. And thank God we can do it for His glory. Let's stand together. Thank God. Whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. Father, we're so thankful tonight for your word. We're thankful, Lord, for the principles and precepts that we glean from studying your word. And I pray tonight, Lord, that we've allowed the word of God to have free course in our life. To realize that you're talking to us as individuals. And Lord, help us that no matter what we put our hand to, we do it with passion and earnestness. Father, draw us near tonight to be more like you, that we might glorify you before a watching world. And we'll ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.